with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. In today's program, we'll talk about inflation in the eurozone slowed slightly last month. What does it mean for eurozone economy? And we will also take a look at UK. Is the country facing a lost decade of growth? And now let's begin with our top story. Official data shows that inflation in the eurozone slowed slightly in November. Consumer prices rose by 10% in the year to November, and that is down from a record 10.6% jump in the previous months. In Germany, the bloc's biggest economy, annual inflation slid to 11.3% from the previous 11.6%. However, prices are still climbing at a fast pace, driven by increasing costs of energy and food. So. Has the eurozone inflation peaked? Is Europe falling into a recession this winter? For more on this, join us on the line now. Ah Yan Liang, professor of economics, Villemet University, and also Liu Baocheng, professor with the University of International Business and Economics. So Yan, first of all, inflation in the eurozone slowed slightly in November. So what do you think are some of the main reasons of it? Yeah, I think the biggest reason for the lofty inflation、um, has been energy and food cost. And so, once the energy prices、uh, climbed down from you know the peak of forty one point five percent back in October, and now、um, the energy cost inflation has been only、um, well. Only thirty four point nine percent in November, so that really helped to、uh, reduce that headline inflation rate.、Um, that said, I think the inflation rate will still remain to be high and stubborn.、Um, the ECB just、uh, reported the the estimate of、uh, inflation rate.、Uh, it's going to be on average eight point one percent for the entire year of twenty twenty two, and then will continue to、uh, peter out to five point five percent in twenty twenty three. So, Baocheng, do you see? Any component or the direction that will lead you to believe that inflation has peaked and、uh, is going to decline? There are、uh, very different voices, and uh, Lagarde uh, said uh, said the、uh, most recently that、uh, it's not going to peak. So therefore, she was indicating uh, that uh, the interest rate hike may not really end. And but、uh, some other economists would predict that uh, uh, at least it's going to. Trim down slightly as uh, uh, Europe uh, is having a turnaround in the energy and food supply. Uh, but uh, uh, my personal view is that it's going to marginally continue to rise because the turnaround is not as、uh, optimistic as people have anticipated. That are really within uh, full uh, within full reach. So therefore. Uh, it is going to be a lingering effect, but the the worry is that a you know recession is really coming to town. How they can really coordinate,、uh, you know, not only within the eurozone but also with the world、uh, in terms of supply of energy and food, and that's something、uh, a demanding task on them. 
Mm. And Yan, you also mentioned the uh, energy and food crisis. For energy, for example, the natural gas, the European Union members have switched to more U.S. natural gas to reduce the bloc's energy dependence on Russia. But the switch comes with a hefty price, as uh, the Europeans they pay more, uh, they pay almost four times more than Americans. So, how has this affected the cost of living crisis across the European continent? Um, I think you know these energy crises has already、uh, you know by some estimate will shed the GDP growth rate you know by for the OECD European countries and so that that's、uh, it's going to shed 1.4 percentage points、uh, of the GDP growth in the OECD Europe and so for the entire world、um, the energy crisis is also going to you know reduce the growth rate by 0.5 percentage points and that would also add to inflation as I think we just mentioned、um, so definitely I. I don't think the energy crisis is is um it's it's over.、Um, so one thing I think it's interesting when you mentioned about and the、uh, the other、uh, panelists talked about, you know, this recession is looming. So、mm. I think the the really uncertainty here is、um, will this recession help to reduce inflation? To the extent that you have some kind of trade-off, or it's going to conjure up some kinds of stagflation, where on the one hand inflation is going to remain high,、um, but at the same time, you know, growth is going to slow down.、Um, and one thing that I really, I am concerned. I think is really,、um, you know. Um, what is the sort of human cost of all these sort of energy crises, right?、Mm. It's it's not just you know people paying a few more dollars or whatnot for for the energy.、Um, a recent study I think have showed that a ten percent increase in the real energy prices is associated with point six percent increase in deaths over a typical winter season, and so that estimated over、um, you know a hundred thousand of extra deaths of elderly people across Europe in the coming months.、Mm. So I think that is very concerning,、um, and so hopefully this energy crisis can be、uh, in some ways not resolved, but at least moderated.、Mm. So about Chang, so talking about the energy crisis, what do you expect for oil prices? Because the G7, EU, and Australia have agreed to cap the price of、uh, Russia oil at sixty U.S. dollars per barrel. First of all, explain to us the significance of this price cap, and how are the oil sanctions going to affect、uh, you know Russia and other parties? It's a more of a geopolitical rally against Russia's operation in Ukraine, and、uh, that's going to serve、uh, a number of uh, desired uh, purposes. One is really to reduce the Uh, industrial might、uh, for Russia, and、uh, in the meantime, to keep the、uh, stable supply、uh, at a reasonable price of the oil and gas, and together with all the other petroleum derivatives、uh, to the world, and also to provide access to those deprived countries who are desperate in need of the oil and gas. So,、uh, and then.、Uh, It's also going to uh, support uh, the uh, United States in uh, their uh, increased production and export. So、uh, the design is beautiful、uh, from the、uh, EU and all all the initiative perspective.、Uh, how that's going to be really there to play out in the real world that remains to be doubtful because there are a number of loopholes and. Uh, uh, exceptions that are there,、uh, countries can really take advantage of, and whether there is the real consensus only、uh, targeting 
on the sea bond trade and how about the you know uh, trading uh, over the land and over the pipelines and how about uh, uh, countries uh, particularly in the Baltic uh, in the Baltic area uh, you know who are really there who need it but do they really want to really to uh, to join and how would other uh, oil and gas suppliers would respond to such a situation so that remains to be seen. Mm. And yeah, so it seems like we're heading for some more uncertainty in the global oil market. So what do you think it will be the impact on the global oil prices? And can the EU make up for the shortfall? Yeah, I think I agree with uh, Professor Liu. There are a lot of you know moving pieces, so to speak. I don't think price is going to have an immediate uh, big response, even though um, it has gone down by 2% just the day when the ban started. Um, but again, I think, you know, depends on how you looked at this, right? So I agree this is a geopolitical strategy, but at the same time, I think, you know, Russia has been, you know, this is nothing sort of abrupt, right? They have been talking about this for at least half a year now. So I think Russia has already prepared um, for uh, counter sort of measures and, you know, India and Turkey are still importing Russia oil. So I don't think... I mean, it will reduce Russia's sort of volume of exports, I think, to um, these European countries. And so there will be some revenue losses. But I don't think this is going to have a complete crash, so to speak, on Russia's oil exports. And so as a as a result of that, I don't think price is going to go down a lot from, you know, its current $67 per barrel to go down to the cap of 60. That's not going to be a huge breaking deal for Russia. Um, even, you know, the price has gone down. Um, in the recent months, uh, Russia is still making a lot of profits because of the um, the demand from, you know, these other countries, like I mentioned. Um, and I also agree that also depends on what OPEC is going to react. They are committed to reduce um, two, bill- 2 million barrels per day uh, until the end of this year. So it really depends on what they go forward. Um, if they continue to hold back the production, then this is going to help to sustain the oil price. So there are really a lot of moving pieces. Um, and in terms of, you know, if, you know, these other countries are able to um, hold up, um, and again, I think it depends on um, how much they're able to construct. For example, Germany, they're doing, you know, they're constructing their um, gas storage and gas pipeline um, to see if they are able to get more of, you know, uh, gas and other um, sort of energies from, say, Norway or Middle East or North Africa. Um, I think it would be difficult for these countries to completely, um, you know, uh, have sufficient alternatives. So it's clear that they are going to have some energy conservation measures um, to reduce the demand. Uh, let me add is that actually, if you, uh, we read the uh, uh, recent uh, bankroll coastal report, which is uh, uh, very authoritative in the uh, uh, oil supply market, and uh, it's a report from uh, uh, January to uh, September. Uh, Russia actually has increased uh, their export by uh, 14.5%, which means that uh, the uh, embargo didn't really work against uh, Russia's export of oil and gas. And uh, uh, again, I think this uh, type of price cap will uh, not really work to uh, the desired effect in that uh, because uh, you know Russia can really maneuver their way, and there are other uh, partners of Russia that do not really respond to such sort of uh, initiative. Mm-hmm. So that is why uh, you know it's more of a, a geopolitical uh, strategy uh, rather than real 
uh, impact on the market. So after all, I think the uh, oil is going to be, you know, staying around uh, $80 per barrel. They, uh, because the supply and demand uh, is just beginning to work on its own equilibrium. Mm. And so, Baocheng, now let's talk about another issue for the European economy. In August this year, the U.S. passed the Inflation Reduction Act. The act contains more than 300 billion U.S. dollars in subsidies for the green technologies. And European leaders fear the subsidies will distort the market and induce the EU companies to relocate to the United States. So what do you think will be the implications of the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act for European companies? I think, first of all, it is really a big swing uh, in the United States principle of managing their economy. And they were the believer and they were the lecture uh, for free market economy. And in recent moves, we do see that uh, the federal government has been uh, doing a lot more than really uh, required by a free market. And so, uh, you know, through uh, subsidies, uh, uh, not only with uh, uh, the current inflation issue, but also with uh, biotax, with uh, chips, etc. So they uh, tend to play a more important role. I think it's uh, more of a political show uh, case. Of course, that's going to uh, impact the entire world, not only Europe. Uh, one is that uh, combined with the uh, interest rate hike and definitely they will be absorbing more of the global capital, which is not really uh, desperately needed to, to develop uh, this type of industries. And also that's going to deprive uh, those uh, countries who really need the basic capital for uh, economic recovery and even for human uh, humanitarian survival. And that's not really a very responsible manner. And the, the other is that that's going to uh, interrupt further the global supply chain. And uh, uh, to the uh, interest, I should say, more of the U.S. Uh, federal government than the U.S. businesses because uh, distortion of the uh, market uh, mechanism uh, by artificially uh, aiding uh, certain industries, it may have a boost in the short run. Uh, however, in the long run, it's going to hurt uh, the economy and eventually hurt the consumers uh, per se. Mm, does it uh, act violate the WTO rules, Bauchen? Uh Yes, I should say. Uh, because uh, uh, WTO has the anti-subsidy uh, pack, and that is agreed by uh, 164 members, and... Uh, a direct subsidy to industries uh, will definitely violate the WTO rules. Uh, they can really ask for exception uh, within the WTO framework, but they have to notify, uh, you know, uh, all the uh, other member countries. And then uh, other countries also left with a, a right to uh, take recourse against such a situation when they prove that it's, uh, uh, their action is injurious to their own industries. So we're speaking with Liu Baocheng, professor with the University of International Business and Economics, and also Yan Liang, professor of economics at uh, Villemette University. And after a short break, we'll take a look at the UK economy. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Einar Tangen, a political and economic analyst and senior fellow at the independent Taiher Institute. World Today is news without the hype and business commentary that is informed and up-to-date, presenting the facts and asking incisive questions. So, 
Join us if you are someone who needs to know what is happening in China as it is happening. You are listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. For the economy that is shrinking and the rising prices, the UK is facing a lost decade, and that's the forecast from the Confederation of British Industry. It estimates the UK economy will contract by 0.4% next year, a sharp fall from its previous forecast in June. So, Yan, let's start with this grim warning. The UK largest business group has downgraded its economic forecast for next year quite substantially. So what do you think are some of the main reasons? Yeah, so the UK economy contracted by 0.2% in the third quarter. And so I think some of the major reasons are the slumping business investments and also worker shortages. Um, as a matter of fact, the three quarters of the companies are struggling to fight the skilled workers that they need. Um, the Con- Confederation of British Industry urged the changes in government policies. Um, they wanted to have more flexible immigration system. They also wanted to have you know, tax in- incentives to boost uh, business investments. So I think you're right that green warning is probably the right description of the UK economy right now that it's likely that we're going to see them going into a recession, that it's going to last, you know, more than next year. And so um, there's real danger of stagflation um, with their, you know, rocketing inflation, negative growth, and then falling productivity and business investment. Mm, And what would it mean for business and workers? Right. So I think um, that recession is likely to kick in. And so that could really increase the unemployment rate. Um, Some of the estimates put that unemployment rate to 6.5% over the next two years. And so that is pretty green for the workers. Um, And also, so far, the UK workers have suffered from um, the the, uh, drop in their real wages. So the real real wages between April and June in the second quarter, you know, when you take into account the inflation, so their real wage has gone down by 3%. And so that is the biggest drop in more than 20 years. Um, and as you know, that now um, there are a lot of worker strikes. And so their situations are really in the bad, uh, in the bad situation. Mm. And Bao Cheng, they warned about uh, the slumping business investment. And in Britain, the business investment exacerbated in recent years. And they are now still expecting it to be 9% lower than before the pandemic. So why is that? The British is having a longer period of trouble over the years, and strength is not really there to uh, to boost the economic growth. The uh, one reason is that they swing back and forth between, uh, you know, the uh, government play versus uh, the uh, market play, and the unions has been really hijacking uh, a number of industries, and so therefore when the uh, wage is not there to match the inflation and there's going to be a strike and there's no work and uh, then the uh, government will have to compromise by uh, increasing the ex- uh, federal ex- uh, expenditure and then uh, you know this is going to be a, a vicious cycle uh, that is still uh, there and at the moment and uh, you know the brexit does have a uh, negative impact on the economic performance because they are really retreating. And uh, there has been a number of attempts to uh, team up with more of the global partners like, you know, free trade agreements, Japan, etc. Uh, however, uh, there's really not really a level of consistency in the uh, uh, political line. 
and also was the uh, economic integration line. So this is really a deep down problem that is uh, still there. Mm -hmm. And hopefully Sunak is going to uh, come up with something that is realistic and conc uh, concrete and pro uh, progressive. So uh, I do not really see much of the uh, silver lining at the moment for the UK to recover. Uh, but inflation is a technical issue. If they tighten the interest rate, of course, in, uh, inflation can come down. But uh, what about the dynamics of the economy? And people do not really find the right solution. Mm. Well, yeah. what are the structural problems, do you think, for the UK economy? They are concerned about the longer-term weakness in productivity. So how can they tackle this problem? Yeah, so I think the structural problem has been uh, longstanding, I think, as Professor Leo has articulated very well. And I think they are also hammered by the recent you know, energy crisis and then really wrong policy moves. Um, so I think, you know, you talked about low productivity and that is definitely a long term and also a complex issue, right? It's not really nothing like a switch. You can just turn it on and off to increase or decrease the productivity. Um, I think most likely, you know, what they need to do is, first of all, solve that labor shortages problem, you know, have a better immigration policies and training programs, education investment in the long term. And at the same time, really, um, I would say use the right mix of policy tools to incentivize business investment, because when businesses are investing, they're not going to be able to boost that productivity. Um, so one of the things I think, um, like uh, Professor Liu talked about, um, this rate hikes um, that try to kill inflation, but at the same time, it really depresses business investments, it depresses housing markets and construction activities. And so what you ended up doing is, yes, you're lowering the demand, but then at the same time, you're also restricting the supply. So it has, uh, in in a way, sort of ambivalent impact on the price and, and inflation, unless really, you know, the, the slide in the demand outweigh the decrease in the supply. But again, I think there's a lot of um, contentions about what would be the best way to fight inflation when you know that inflation comes mostly from energy and food crisis. Um, and same thing with, you know, um, their budget cuts, right? So there's mm -hmm. a lot of pressure now um, on Sunak's government to reduce the budget deficit. But at the same time, you know, when you have a slum economy and you want to cut the fiscal spending, um, that is not going to do well for the economy. So I think at least in the short run, um, they need to really wisely think about their policies and rebuild the economy over the long term. Mm. So Bao Chen, when we talk about the UK economy, so to what extent do you think is the current situation influenced by Brexit? Uh, British is really the founding father of uh, neoclassic economics, and which uh, really uh, proposing that by further integration with uh, more of the uh, partners, you can really sharpen specialization. So therefore, it's going to bring a win-win situation, a common prosperity among all participants. So from Adam Smith, you know, to uh, to now the uh, a, a number of uh, neon uh, classics. Uh, they are really the strong proponents, and but right now they are really there uh, going against such a uh, sort of proposition. So uh, the Brexit uh, is really an indication of a strong populism that is uh, still going on, and even the divisive power uh, within the uh, entire UK. And so people are retreating more uh, of the cocoon, and uh, uh, there's a sense of defeat. 
that is looming large among people's minds. So therefore, you know, how they can really address uh, the new round of globalization, even if, you know, they have exited, but how they can really team up with the free trade agreements and uh, uh, how they are going to work out with uh, uh, many other partners for uh, financial uh, cooperation. And this is something they need to do now. They they are there, seem to be a loss. They put a lot of uh, opposing objectives in one basket, and then they really uh, cannot really find a logic line. So uh, therefore, uh, priority is really uh, definitely required from the policy circle. But more importantly, it's really the private businesses that is going to be encouraged with the right type of business environment so that they can really collaborate more of the global investment into UK. But right now, it is really a very bleak situation. Um, I, I want to just add to that. I, I think that um, there are promises, you know, of regulatory freedoms and trade deals that, you know, UK could have achieved um, after leaving the EU. But... I think, unfortunately, right now, I don't think any of these materialized in terms of, you know, trade deals with the United States or with um, EU and with Australia's the trade deal um, also didn't seem to be able to raise GDP by much, according to some of the estimates. But then, you know, the negative signs seem to be uh, really illuminating. Um, the trade with the EU has gone down by 15 percent so far. Uh, investment has been undershot because of investors' sentiments. Um, the report was that uh, the investment has gone down by 60 billion uh, pounds per year. And we also have seen, you know, the pound sterling has been depreciating and that really imported the, uh, it, you know, raised the imported prices and inflation as a result. And then, you know, the labor shortages, um, you know, due to the harder, uh, you know, immigration process. So I think so far the cost of Brexit have been looming large and the benefits have not really yet materialized. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so will London lose its status as an international financial center after the Brexit? I think that still remains to be seen. I think it's a it's a long going process. Um, you know, when you think about how a country's financial strength may be eroded over time. Uh, let me add it's that actually financial center is really supported by uh, one is your strong currency and the other is the strength of uh, economic growth and third is your you know smooth tie. Uh, working with more of those uh, uh, major trading partners. So right now, if they really want to maintain or at least to check the decline of the financial center uh, as UK or in London, and they need to really to move the, uh, these directions to consolidate and uh, entrench uh, their economic strength in the global marketplace and in the global economy. Mm-hmm. Well, we're speaking with Yan Liang, Professor of Economics at Villamette University, and also Liu Baocheng, Professor with the University of International Business and Economics. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening. Music